And we are live. Welcome to today's episode of MicroConf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every Wednesday, we live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building, growing startups. They're ambitious, but fit within the goals of building a life, having a life, not burning yourself out, finding all the great things. And uh, today, we are rolling into an all Rob Q&A episode. Listener questions are pouring in. We have a few in the Slack. Um, I have a few actually from the podcast. And I think there's some coming in on Twitter. If you are in MicroConf Connect, head into MicroConf On Air, the channel. It's not a workspace. Yeah, it's a channel in Slack. And uh, shoot your questions in there. There's a nice thread going. In addition, um, if you're on YouTube, you can, uh, of course, ask them live there. Producer Xander is monitoring those or post them on Twitter. A um, couple of housekeeping items before we get rolling on the questions, which I've been told uh, that the Q&A episodes, listener question episodes, are, are some of the favorites on Startups for the Rest of Us. And so I thought we'd do a, a nice fun delve into it today. That's the, the experiment. We haven't done a live Q&A episode uh, with just me. Um, really, since so the very first MicroConf on our live stream was supposed to be Q&A about my MicroConf talk, and nine minutes in, the stream crashed, and I barely answered any questions. So I'm looking forward to today. Um, beginning last week, I want to make a couple announcements. Beginning last week, we are now featuring a MicroConf talk, the audio from a MicroConf talk in the MicroConf on air podcast feed. First talk, uh, these are the top five. We're starting top five uh, MicroConf talks of all time. First one was from Joanna Weeb. Second one is Jason Cohen's uh, ideal bootstrapped business. And we're going we're gonna to keep those going. So once a week, every Tuesday morning, you can get the audio of a MicroConf talk in your um in your earbuds. And then every Thursday morning, we're pushing the, the, you know, this live stream that you're hearing will go live tomorrow. So Tuesday and Thursday mornings are the MicroConf on air, um, uh, you know, episode days and uh, MicroConf on air, just search in any podcatcher that you have and uh, you can listen and subscribe. Or if you go to microconfpodcast.com, you can um, listen in the browser. If you have not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, we have crazy good stuff going on there, not just the MicroConf on airs that you're watching here, but we will be putting out new talks as they come in, um, creating content, all that kind of stuff. So youtube.com slash microconf, hit the subscribe button and get notified about all of our future live videos. Finally, thank you to Basecamp and Stripe. They are our headline partners here in 2020. And I just wanna thank them and recognize them for making everything we do just a little bit easier and for partnering with MicroConf. So I have never done this. I love the idea of reading my own guest intro because I always have a guest intro in the outline. So Rob Walling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's the co-founder of MicroConf, Tiny Seed and Drip. He's the host of Startups for the Rest of Us, author of Start Small, Stay Small. He's had multiple exits and he's an investor in 36 startups. Uh, and that's me. So welcome, welcome to the show, myself. Again, if you have questions, putting put them in the MicroConf on air channel in the MicroConf Connect Slack. So let's dive in. We are gonna. I'm gonna start with a question that came in to startups for the rest of us, and I may answer this as well on the show in case later on you hear it. But I really thought this one was an interesting, um, an interesting one. The topic is when stair stepping is not feasible. Let me click in here. All right, so it's from David. He says, um, I'm, I really appreciate all the work you do. I'm interested to know your thoughts about the following situation. I believe I have a very interesting SaaS product that I'm interested in pursuing. However, this is the first business that I would be building and I'm concerned that I'm biting off more than I can chew. I'm currently employed full-time and have taught myself how to program. I don't feel confident that I have the technical skill to build something of this size. Also, I have two kids and a mortgage, so I'm not looking to take really big risks financially. 
this is a project I'm interested in and want to put the time and effort into, but not sure how to best tackle it. I would be willing to consider a partner. Any thoughts? So this is a very, you know, obviously a very common conundrum that, that folks run into. Um, I think m most of us have experienced this choice at one time or another. It's like, do I build nights and weekends? Do I find a co-founder? Um, do I, do I stair-step? And my first take is, if you're at a place where you have an idea you're really excited about and you think has a lot of potential, then you, you don't always have to stair-step. I think stair-stepping stair -stepping takes longer and stair-stepping is a more surefire way to, to do it over the long term instead of making one big bet and two big bets and potentially losing everything. It's just a way to build something up, super reliable. You build the experience, you build the, the um, you know, a little bit of revenue, you build the confidence, you build all these these skills and this tool belt that then you're able to leverage up, leverage up. And, and the people who I see stair step, they succeed. You know, it's a huge percentage that succeed on a small scale and then parlay, parlay, and eventually they get up to a, to a big one. The thing I would caution you about is in his email, he says, I have a very interesting SaaS product that I'm really interested in pursuing. That's a, that's a red flag for me right there, that sentence. What the first question is, what have you done to validate this? Because interesting idea that you're interested in pursuing is totally irrelevant to the market, to uh, to any customers. I don't hear I have a SaaS product that, uh, you know, customers of existing SaaS products are complaining about, or there's this massive market need that I'm seeing in these forum conversations, or I'm part of a group and like 20 people have told me they would pay for it, or I validated it in this, this, and that way. So that's the first thing I would say is if you are going to go all in on a SaaS as your kind of your first thing, um, I would say that needs to, you need to validate the crap out of that. Like you need to take yourself from where you're 10%, you know, uh, confident up to that 60, 65% confidence level by doing a tremendous amount of validation. And validation does not involve, hey, I'm going to build this thing. Do you think that's a good idea? Because everyone will say, oh, yeah, that's great, because they don't want to hurt your feelings. You know, it's a serious conversation with, I'm going to build this. I think it's worth about 50 bucks a month, or maybe it's 100 or whatever your number is. Um, do you feel like this problem being solved in this way uh, would help you? And then, this problem, are you, how do you have it today? How are you solving it today? How, what have you done to try to solve it today if you haven't? You know, there's the mom test. If you haven't read the book, The Mom Test, um, that's where you'd go to, to to kind of find out some good questions to ask to try to validate this better. Then from validation, each of these is just a little incremental step, right? A little one like validation is like, oh, maybe I'll get like 20, 30, 40% of the way there where I feel confident. What's the next one? can you build a prototype? Depends on what the idea is, right? There, there are uh, things like, I go back to Hittail, which was an SEO keyword tool that I had back in, um, uh, well, it was 2011 to about 2014 or 15 when I sold it. It was my pre-drip SaaS. You could have built Hittail using Excel spreadsheets and email. You didn't actually need software. You could have had a VA, Excel spreadsheets, and these days with no code, um, next week on Startups for the Rest of Us, I I have an episode releasing, uh, release, an episode going live with a no-code expert who's built 40 different products in no-code. It is ridiculous what you can accomplish right now um, with these no-code tools. So I would be looking seriously at what can I launch without writing any code. Um, if you've taught yourself enough to, to program, you should be able to use these no-code tools pretty well to launch mobile apps. That's the thing, man. Listen to the episode because I wish I didn't realize there were no code tools to launch mobile apps. So you can do a lot of stuff. That's what I would be looking at. Personally, right now, I probably wouldn't be looking for a partner because you don't have anything, right? 
you don't, you haven't validated anything. You haven't sold anything. You haven't de-risked it. So why would a developer partner come along with you? But if you build a prototype, you get people using it, get people paying, and then you're like, hey, we need to build this thing for real. That's when you go and start thinking about it. So that is my take on that. I'm going to move on to the next question, which is, should I continue with SEO or start brand building? And I just need to click into that real quick. Yeah, this is a, this is a good one. I like this. So it's from Robert and he, Robert Brandle, and he's from WebsiteToolTester.com. He says, uh, I've become pretty decent at SEO and content marketing. However, I am wondering if I should start investing into brand building at this point. I have a feeling this could accelerate our growth further. Can you maybe share a little bit of the process building the Drip brand or any other startup brand you've been involved with? Did you work with an agency? What were your goals? And how did you measure them? So um, I like this question because I think I think like seven or eight years ago, I probably would have said, nope, just go all in on SEO and content marketing. Just get the get the uh, traction, just get the the leads, you know, get the the SEO, the traffic, and just focus on that. And I had I built a lot of businesses on that and I didn't think a lot about brand. These days, what I think of brand as is a moat. SEO and content marketing are a moat until Google pulls the rug out from under you. And I've now seen dozens, at least, maybe hundreds of businesses that just get destroyed because Google changes their algorithm for right or, for better or worse, for right or wrong, and they wind up just decimating a business. And so what I like about website tooltester.com is it's reviews of hosting sites, website um, builders, I think I'm assuming like Squarespace and those kind of Wix and those kind of things, store builders like Shopify and whatever, um, Gumroad. And they're doing pretty in-depth reviews. It's a nice looking site. It's a quality site. And what I would model myself after is uh, Wirecutter. So wirecutter.com. Before Wirecutter, there were a bunch of affiliate sites that would do reviews of things. And aside from like, what it was like CNET and Consumer, uh, Consumer Reports, they would do these reviews and then have affiliate links. And those were legit and everything else was pretty spammy and super SEO and super just trying to rank for keywords. And then wire, the Wirecutter came along and it became this like reputable brand that people would, it wasn't just a search in Google for, you know, best uh, new iPhone case or best recording, you know, audio, video, uh, LED light. You started to go to the Wirecutter straight away. And once you can get 20, 30, 40% of your traffic from brand searches in Google or from direct domain, you know, entries into the search bar, into the address bar, you really do start de-risking. That's what brand is about, right? It's about de-risking and it's about keeping loyal customers. So yes, I actually do think if you have a, a content machine going and it seems like um, Website Tool Tester has several folks working on it, it's not just like a solo project, I don't see why you you shouldn't. If you have the knowledge and, and the expertise, why shouldn't you start a live, uh, like a video series? Why shouldn't you start a podcast? Um, why shouldn't you start syndicating your content, publishing reviews, even if it's shortened versions on appropriate sites, right? Who cares about this stuff? And if you're writing really high, you know, when I say who cares, I mean, which other websites would potentially like a review or a top five ranking of this stuff? Um, so anyways, that's, so I'm, I'm kind of bullish on this idea. I like it. It depends on where you want to go, right? If you just want to hack SEO, that's fine. And you, you'll build a nice, like small business 
and you'll get to a certain point and then just max out because your organic traffic is going to go away. But if you want to take this and build a seven, potentially an eight-figure business, have and de-risk part of it and really grow it and either exit or just run it for the long term, I think brand is where is where I would go with it for sure. Um, I so back to the part of the question was you know can you share a little bit of the process of doing it with Drip? Did you do work with an agency? I did not. Um, our goals with the Drip brand was to be like the this really powerful tool that was um, easy to use and less expensive than the the, high, the big clunky things. And so we just positioned ourselves against that. You know, the headline was um, lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck. And then we went all in on that and we had good design for the, you know, for the logo and the colors. And then we really tried to, um, I went on a lot of podcast interviews, um, talked about it. I, communicated in a consistent way is really what it is, right? Brand is what people say about you when you're not around. It's not what you say about yourself, but it's like, what do people think of, of your brand? And so you have to get, you know, there's a great book on positioning called, called, um, absolute, wait, is it absolutely awesome? Unmistakably awesome. It's, it's, uh, April Dunford's book. And, uh, I would start with that to look at positioning. And then there's a book called story brand that you can tie into that. Obviously awesome. Thank you, Producer Sander. Obviously awesome by April Dunford, which does positioning, not brand, but positioning. Brand flows from positioning. So you got to start with uh, with positioning. So I hope that was helpful. Thanks for the question. Our next one is, do you have any opinions on marketing to developers if you do not have an audience? It's from our Slack channel. It's from Virage. And yes, I definitely do. Um, of course, if you have an audience, if you have an audience on Twitter, email list, blog, that makes it that makes it great. Um, so it, he says, devs, developers, including myself, generally hate to be sold to. That's correct, unless they need a tool. Like when I go to CircleCI or when I go to, I, I mean, I, nobody loves cold email for the most part, right? But when someone hits you with a cold email that, that you're like, man, I really need that, then suddenly you don't mind being sold to. So yes, they don't love it, but there is, sales is still a perfectly you know usable thing. But content marketing does work great with developers and normal marketing um, that we might use in, you might use in the internet marketing space or whatever, like devs tend to see through that and be more skeptical of it. So with developers, um, I think you have a couple approaches. I think you have several approaches. One is, can you know, where are they, right? The specific devs, if you're marketing to iOS devs, it's like, are they listening to these podcasts? Can you go on those podcasts or sponsor them, right? So that there's the sponsorships of getting in front of them. Um, there also is the, are you interested in building an audience? I mean, you watch the people who build developer, developers really love content and they really love content highly aimed at, you know, really focused on them. And so if you have a service that manages APIs for iOS developers, well, this is where you write articles on, you know, how to manage your APIs and how to keep them secure and all the stuff that you've learned, how to scale them and this and that. And you basically kind of give them instructions and, and on how to manage their own. And then you say, hey, if you don't want to do that, or here's our service in essence. I'm just using that as an example. Um, uh, yeah, and he says long-term play maybe to form a community around tangential value additions. Um, so yeah, I think a community is interesting. I do think that developers, you have a luxury being in the developer market of they do like content, they listen to podcasts, they do read uh, Hacker News. There's distribution. They a lot of them read, you know, what indie hackers and there's all these these dev chat job boards. Uh, not even job boards, just forums. There are a lot of places where dev hangs devs hang out, and so you know you start with that tight niche, and it's a little bit of content marketing, but it's also a little bit of being present. I mean, hey, I got to tell you, I saw a business that was built to about 30k of MRR, and it was solely done with answering questions on. It was marketing to devs, solely done answering questions on Quora 
and questions on Stack Exchange. That was it. That was all his marketing. So that alone, it's like value, 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 right? You know the stuff that you know, and you're an expert in it. Just provide that value and, and people will come to it. So I hope that was helpful, Viraj. Uh, next question is from Pablo. He says, when investing in startups, whether tiny seed or personally, do you try to build a portfolio with variety, different levels of risk and potential success, or is each investment a single isolated decision? Um, quick answer is single isolated decision. And the re I'll answer for my personal portfolio. Um, tiny seed, we have specific, a bunch of criteria that we evaluate people on, and we have not to date. We haven't invested in enough companies to really do a, a like a whole portfolio analysis and try to do that. But um, with my personal stuff, what I've done is I've I only put a small portion of my net worth into startups. I consider them obviously a high, very high risk asset, and so I have a chunk of of money in the public markets. And it's not not a huge amount, actually. Like when I was younger, I would have 80, 90% in public markets and 10% in cash or bonds or something. Now that number is much, much lower. I'm um, depending on what this, how the stock market is doing and what I assess the risk. It might be 20 to 40% of my net worth in uh, public in stocks. And then um, I have a small portion divvied up in several kind of risk assets like gold uh, or metals in general. I have some silver and platinum, um, cryptocurrency, and um, and then I have chunks in like some commercial real estate, and then I have a chunk in probably a bigger chunk than I should have in startups. It's definitely a bigger chunk than I should have. And then I have a little bit in collectibles because I love collecting Silver Age, you know, uh, old old expensive comic books. So I kind of I've diversified across a lot of things there, and I've tried not to be too reliant on public markets um, because they are kind of fickle and and um, emotional, I'll say. And I don't love that roller coaster. And I've found that uh, you know investing in in other avenues has been more helpful. But in addition to that, um, and actually, I was just going to look to see if there was any other thing that I'm in right now that I'm forgetting to mention. No, I think that's about it. But I see, I consider those my pretty, my long-term, my safe assets, right? All the stuff that I'm parking that money in, and I have a little bit in cash or whatever. Whereas with startups, I consider everything just a huge bet. I consider everything just, a, it either goes to 100x or it goes to zero, you know, or it goes to 10x or it goes to zero, whatever the number is. Um, so once I write a check to a startup, it's gone. So I have a, if I see an idea or a founder that I'm like, this one has chops, I'm not looking to try to create a portfolio. I am just saying, I think this one's a winner. Not saying that's right or wrong. That's just how I approach it. All right. Next question. Where can I find a sales plus marketing co-founder? Oh, yeah. That's uh, this question here. It says, it's from Martin. He says, I'm a technical founder building activitymessenger.com. It's an SMS slash email marketing platform for sports and leisure competing against MailChimp Constant Contact, but it's in a niche and I have two advantages. I send them SMS because millennials don't read their email and it's integrated to the registration system because that's where all the contact information is. Six months in, have around 10 customers. So he's actually, he's de-risked this uh, a bit. 10 customers helping me build the product. It's pretty sticky and seems to be generating anywhere from between 50 to $100 MRR per customer. 25 of that is recurring and the rest is variable when people purchase kind of bundles as you go. Looking for a business co-founder. So I'm going to take on sales and marketing. Where should I look? This is a, I like this question. I think this is pretty common. Um, so number one, if you want to contact Martin, um, maybe send me an email uh, or a DM in MicroConf Connect. 
and I can connect to you if you want to be part of something like this. If it sounds interesting, I actually think it's a pretty good idea to niche down. And, and when I look at the system, it's uh, it's reasonable. So sales and marketing co-founders, traditional answer would be meet people in person, go to in-person events. That's a tough thing to do right now. But once that opens up uh, for this type of thing, I would go to a microconf or a business of software or a, um, uh, you know, like a, a dynamite circle event. There could be people there. Or, I mean, there's a bunch of, places and probably there's probably like some sales slash marketing events that i'm totally not aware of i'm thinking of like there's track of traffic and conversion in in los angeles which is digital marketers event and there's there's other like that so while that's expensive that's how you're going to get to meet people um in a way that that's meaningful but the other places online of course like where do sales and marketing people hang out and and chat in the startup space um uh, certainly microconf connect has some you know it's maybe not a majority but there are absolutely uh, places there. I think of like growthhackers.com, which is a, a community. It's a forum community um, or not even a forum. It's like a social news community where people submit sites, but you'll see the posters there and you can start getting a feel for who's posting. Um, and again, you know, are there meet up, local meetups in your town that you can go to and start pressing the flesh or are there, um, I think the online thing is really what you got to do at this point. So I would, I would personally be thinking about um, who has some startup experience or yeah, start SaaS experience is, is even better. And the idea is you've de-risked this a, a decent amount by getting paying customers and kind of proving it out. So this sales and marketing person should, you need to vet them. Like you don't, don't pull the first person in that, that you see, because I feel like you have something to offer them. So thank you for that question, Martin. I hope that was helpful. Again, feel free to contact me if you feel like, uh, you might, you know, you might want to be introed to Martin. I'm sure he'd love to be contacted. All right, another question. I think this is from YouTube. It says, if you have a SaaS idea but cannot build it yourself and don't have the funds to outsource, should I pursue investors? Um, these days, I don't know of SaaS that's getting funded without a product, right? The pre-product funding days were from like 95 to 2002, three, four, and now you need a product with, with no code, with... Um, you know, where you can hack stuff together with the idea of an MVP, with hiring uh, overseas developers for 20 bucks an hour, you can get an MVP out for not that much money. So I would either learn to code or I would do what it takes. I mean, it's kind of ties into the thing I said earlier is like many apps can be built with duct tape, bailing wire, Google Docs, and Zapier. And so think about really what is the value your app provides and can you do that without any code. Do you do it with software, but you do it just by pointing and clicking, pointing and clicking. Look for the no code movement and look for tools. Um, there was one, I believe it's called Boundless. There's one like Boundless where you could like build a whole like interactive um, data-driven website based on it. And then there was one, uh, again, it's in Startups for Rest next week. It was an app where you could build mobile apps in like an hour or two and you drag it and then it's just on, it's just on, you know, in, in the iOS app store and in Android. And I was like, this is incredible. So that's the kind of thing I'd be looking to do if I didn't know how to code. And I think there's kind of never been a better time in history if you're not a developer to launch a, to launch a software product, in my opinion. All right. Do you have thoughts on stopping team burnout on customer success? Is there a lifespan on a customer success rep? Um, so customer support reps, I do see that they burn out. That's like straight up emails, constantly grinding it out with live chat and emails. And 
I wouldn't say there's a lifespan, but I do think a lot of people, that's like an entry-level position and a lot of people kind of move up from there, you know, and they want to go into customer success, which is much more, there's probably a lot more phone calls. They're almost like an account rep. And they may only do it via email, but most of the time you're going to get on Zoom calls. You're going to walk customers through. You're going to be working one-on-one with your high value customers. I, I mean, everyone wants, like every job, every individual contributor job, I think has some kind of lifespan. Like if you're a junior dev and you're not moving up to mid-level and then senior and then something else over your career, like people get bored. So yes, I do think there's a lifespan in everything. Um, customer success reps, I haven't seen a tremendous amount of, um, of burnout, to be honest, but from customer success rep, you go to customer success manager and, you know, and you can, or you can flip over into sales or whatever. Um, I think stopping team burnout in any, in any um, format is the question, what's burning them out? Because when I think of customer success, I don't think of that being a high stress, high risk job. And so um, not high risk, but high stress. So I, I'm just, that would be the first question I've asked is what's burning them out and how can we shift that away from them? Like if they're answering, a, if they're trying to do support and customer success, that's a problem. Like you need to split that up. Or if they're trying to do customer success and sales and the sales is, is stressing them out, then split the sales out, right? Um, I would really dig into the root cause and figure out, is my org chart correct? Or am I, do I have people doing, anytime people are doing two jobs at once, it takes a very unique individual to do that. Most people uh, are unable to. All right. This might be our last question for the day. We'll see. We just have a couple more minutes. Rahul says, there are so many markets, verticals, and industries to solve problems for. How do you narrow down on a market or a user segment to find opportunities? I've uh, been working on the consumer tech, on consumer tech startups and haven't um, run my own Shopify store. How should I approach building SaaS for Shopify, for example, or Slack e ecosystem as another example? Any tips on how to do breadth first search for the markets and then in-depth search on the finalized market? Yeah, it's a big question. Um, the idea of the idea of finding a market or a user segment. I'm trying to reread this. So many markets, verticals, and industries. That, so, I mean, I always started with markets, verticals, or industries that I could either acquire an app in, so that I didn't have to build the dang thing and then improve it from there. Something that had good bones, or I would pick a. Um, market vertical or industry that I had either personally some experience in or like I had a warm lead on that like my wife as a psychologist I considered building a practice management SaaS at one point because I knew that she could be a customer zero for me or you know my dad was an electrician my brother was in construction I considered building construction management at, one, at some point now just because they need it and, and we're going to dictate something doesn't mean you should build it but that is a way to narrow it down if infinite possibility is actually not not a good thing. The paradox of choice is there's too many choices. How do I narrow? So just pick some ways that give you some kind of advantage. The perfect advantage, if you can pull it off and not not actually that many people do, according to the state of independent SaaS, I think it was like maybe 50% of people build SaaS for themselves to solve their own problem. It was a lot less than I thought it would be. And so if you can do that though, it's amazing. You know, building, using Hittail and building Drip where it was things that I needed, that was so super cool. Um, but if you can't do that, then yeah, you need to start thinking about how do I find uh, early users who are really passionate? You know, you need like a champion and that may be, again, maybe a spouse, it may be a friend, it may be a relative. Um, but when you're, when you're talking about trying to build a Shopify app or a Slack add-on, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I go from what's, what's popular and what can I do better? What can I do differently? Um, I think in those app stores, you're probably not going to think of any new ideas per se, unless it's a new 
it's like a new API integration. Like when Stripe first came out, suddenly it was like, oh, Stripe needs to integrate with all these things and they haven't yet. So then should there be a Stripe Slack integration? Should there be a Stripe Shopify integration? Should there be a Stripe this and that integration? You know, that's what you have to look for in terms of these app stores that are super, um, they're mature. So they already have a lot of apps and they already have a lot of things built for them. And so you have to look at the, at the edges and like, what is up and coming? You know, there's um, these, there's static kits, uh, static kit, there's static site generators. Uh, do those need to be integrated in these types of things? There is, um, there's no code. Like what's going on in no code? Cause it's new and it's growing and people are talking about it. So does there need to be like no code stuff for Shopify, no code stuff for Slack, no code stuff in general, you know, and is that exciting to you? So I threw out a bunch of stuff there, but this is how I think about it. it you know, it's like, hopefully you're excited about what you're going to do. I don't believe you have to be, but it, of course it makes it better. And hopefully you're relatively close to it or have some passionate customer zero that you can start with, but then don't start building, right? You need to go validate that. Like I've said in the past 30 minutes of so like, go out, try to figure out who needs it, try to pre-sell and, uh, and that does it. So that was the all question and answer episode of on Air for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We live stream every Wednesday, same time, same place at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. If you want to catch up with me, I'm at Rob Walling on Twitter. And of course, robwalling.com to find out more about me. So I'll see you next Wednesday, same time, same place, microconfontair.com. Thanks for joining me.